is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello, everybody. So today's case has been on our list for a while. Thank you, Emily, Priscilla, Zach, Monica, and many others from social media. But especially with the very, very, very recent update, we received this mass influx of requests for it. And with what's new, although it is frustrating and we know many of you share feelings with us on why, we wanted to relay the highlights of what has happened in this case since it started back in 2005. We know that a lot of you guys already know this case and probably some of you have been following it since 2005 when it happened. I know that uh, I was also following this case as well. But we're going to give you guys the latest information, so thanks again for tuning in. And also, it's 350 episodes today. Crazy. Crazy. 350 episodes going west. They're flying by. They really are. how did we get here? We were just at 300. Two a week. Two a week. That's how we're doing it. That's (laughs) how. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Well, let's get into today's episode. This is episode 350 of Going West. So let's get into it. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway. Natalie Holloway. New developments in a case that gripped the attention of the world when Alabama teen Natalie Holloway went missing in Aruba. And 18 years later, her family finally is getting some answers. A sense of closure for the family after nearly 20 years. A federal judge says the chief suspect in the 2005 disappearance of Natalie Holloway in Aruba has admitted that he killed her and disposed of her remains. I know that he was responsible for the demise of Natalie. And he's a monster. Natalie was an 18-year-old high school student on a class trip to Aruba when she disappeared in 2005. She was last seen leaving a nightclub with Vandersloot and two other men. Almost two decades after Natalie Holloway vanished in Aruba, the man, long suspected in her death, has confessed in grisly detail to killing the Alabama team. Today, I can tell you with certainty that after 18 years, Natalie's case is solved. As far as I'm concerned, it's over. It's over.
Natalie Ann Holloway was born on October 21st, 1986, which is actually the day after this episode comes out, in Memphis, Tennessee, to parents Beth and Dave Holloway. Now, some reports state that Natalie was born in Clinton, Mississippi, but either way, she and her younger brother Matthew spent most of their childhood living in Clinton, Mississippi. When Natalie was about seven years old, her parents, Beth and Dave, divorced, and she and her brother were mostly raised by their mother, Beth, living in Clinton. But they did have a relationship with their father as well. And then seven years after that, in 2000, so when Natalie was 14, her mom married her partner, George Twitty, who was a businessman, and they moved to his native Alabama. More specifically, to the small, upscale suburb of Mountain Brook in the city of Birmingham. Natalie and Matthew's dad, Dave, stayed back in Mississippi where he worked as an insurance agent, whereas their mother, Beth, got a job at the local school system there in Alabama, so she was very close to her kids. Natalie was a great student in Alabama and was a part of the National Honor Society, but she also enjoyed extracurriculars like being on her high school's dance squad. But Natalie had big dreams of becoming a doctor. So after graduating from Mountain Brook High School in the spring of 2005, she was just months away from attending the University of Alabama on a full scholarship. Roll Tide. Knew you were going to say that. Yeah. But first things first, there was a big graduation trip planned for 125 other graduates of her school, which was a five-day trip that all the teens were excited to go on because it was to beautiful Aruba located amongst utter Caribbean paradise with its clear blue waters and white sand beaches. So even though there was over 100 students on this trip and seven adult chaperones, this trip was considered an unofficial one, meaning that it wasn't sanctioned by the school. So some students hung back because it didn't really feel like a safe idea. And one student said later, quote, I remember thinking I wouldn't go someplace not in our country. I don't think I'd feel safe without having been there before in case anything happened. But Aruba was and still is basically considered a safe place for tourists and one of the safest islands in all of the Caribbean. And these unofficial graduation trips were a bit of a trend at the time. And with the Aruba drinking age being 18 instead of 21 in Alabama, many of the new grads were excited about going on this trip to celebrate the summer and the next chapter of their lives. And of course, have a few drinks. Well, the chaperones included four male faculty members of Mountain Brooks High School and Middle School, and then three of these men's wives, one of whom was a local travel agent named Jody Behrman, who actually organized this trip. And Jody later said about the students, quote, the chaperones were not supposed to keep up with their every move. Another chaperone, a teacher named Bob Plummer, later said, quote, we met with the students every day to make sure that everything was fine, that, you know, nothing was happening, that everything was going okay with them. So that said, all 130-ish people arrived from Alabama to the northern end of Aruba on Thursday, May 26, 2005. And they settled into a Holiday Inn resort along Palm Beach. Now, this particular location is like a four-star, 10-story hotel that includes two swimming pools, a spa, and also a casino. 18-year-old Natalie Holloway reportedly was living her trip to the fullest and enjoying time with her friends, including her two best friends, Liz Kane and Claire Fearman. But for many of the students, seemingly including Natalie, the drinking was getting a little out of hand. 
Now, there was allegedly so much partying and room switching that the Holiday Inn told them that they wouldn't be welcomed back. And I think this would be totally normal for teenagers who are just entering adulthood and, you know, visiting a place where you can drink alcohol three years earlier than you can back at home. So this behavior totally makes sense to me, but Natalie's two best friends did say that the drinking was, quote, kind of excessive. However, chaperone and teacher Bob Plummer later had this to say, quote, there's a lot of misinformation and lies and rumors and innuendos about how the students were acting on this trip. You know, a lot of people said they were out of control, they were drinking too much, they were just drunk all the time, and that could not have been further from the truth. As I've told other people, there were a lot of families at this resort with their kids, and I can't tell you how many adults came up to us, the chaperones down there, and told us how well-behaved, how polite these students were. But either way, the students were all having a lot of fun until everything came to a head four days into their trip on Sunday, May 29th, 2005, the day before they were all scheduled to go back to Alabama. Later, chaperone Bob Plummer was asked if he saw Natalie on that day. And his response was, quote, yes, we met with them, the students, earlier that day and then saw them again that afternoon or that evening at dinner in the casino. And then he continued by saying that it was probably that night in the casino that he last saw Natalie. So after dinner, Natalie and many other students and friends headed out in Orgenstad, which is the capital of Aruba, and it's a beautiful, colorful, small city right on the water. And this area was pretty close to their hotel as well. That night, they were at a bar called Carlos and Charlie's, which is a chain of casual Mexican restaurants that are mostly speckled across Mexico and also the Caribbean, though they do have a couple uh, U.S. locations as well in West Palm Beach, Florida and Las Vegas, Nevada. But since they had dinner, all the students were drinking and just kind of mingling, and this is where Natalie continued to hang out with a young man and his friends who were living in the area and attending the International School of Aruba, and she decided to leave with them. They had actually met back at the casino, and Natalie's friends invited the three of them to come to Carlos and Charlie's with them. Now, her friends last remember seeing her get into a silver car with the three men at around 1.30 a.m., which would be the last time that anybody would see Natalie. Chaperone Bob Plummer later said, quote, The next morning when we were getting the first set of buses off to the airport, and they had checked off the first bus that was going to take the first set of students back to the airport, and came out of the bus and were getting ready to get the second group together, of which Natalie was a part, and at that point, some of the students came up and said, quote, We've not seen Natalie since last night. At that point, Bob and the other chaperones asked everybody that they could questions, especially her friends and roommates, and went back to her room to gather her things and bring it all to the front of the resort, or like the front desk area, because they still didn't think that something bad had happened, more so that she was out late and possibly forgot that she had to get on the bus the next morning. But he had to leave with the other students, so Natalie's mom Beth was called, and at that point the family pretty much had to figure this out themselves. So everyone had to return to Alabama since Natalie didn't arrive back to the hotel nor to the airport for her scheduled flight, and she missed it all together. So her mom Beth and her stepfather, along with a few of their friends, took a private jet to Aruba right away to begin their search. 
The police were quickly made aware of the situation, but it was Natalie's family that went down to the bar to have them pull surveillance footage to see who exactly these young men were that Natalie left with. And due to the fact that the guys that she was with lived in this area and actually frequented this bar often, the bar manager knew exactly who one of the men was, a 17-year-old Dutch national by the name of Joran Vandersloot. So before we continue, let's talk about him for a second. So Joran was born on August 6, 1987 in Arnhem, Netherlands to a lawyer and an art teacher. But when he was just three years old, the family picked up and moved to Aruba, where Joran became an honor student at the nonprofit private school, the International School of Aruba, which is where he was still attending when he met Natalie, like Heath told us. Now, at the school, Joran played football or soccer in America and tennis, but he was never known to be a very good kid. Like, he was known to be a liar and would often sneak out of his family house to go out to bars and casinos with his friends. Now that Natalie's family finally had a name, they headed down to the Aruban police and explained the entire situation, telling them that they needed to check him out. So they went with police down to Joran's family's house to look for her. And Joran feigned ignorance at this point. He said that he didn't know who Natalie was, but then eventually remembered. Then he and his friend Deepak Kalpo, remember that name for later, explained that they had, in fact, met Natalie the night before when they took her to the lighthouse on Arashi Beach, which is at the tip of Aruba and about 20 minutes' drive from the bar, because they said that Natalie wanted to see some sharks. Now, once they did this, they left the beach and claimed that they dropped Natalie off back at her hotel at 2 a.m. and then didn't see her after that again. But that she seemed to be in trouble when they dropped her off. Now, Joran told Natalie's parents and police that after Natalie got out of the car, she fell on the floor and wouldn't let them help her. After that, she was approached by a dark man in a shirt similar to the ones that the security guards wear. But he said that they saw this as they drove off, and since she didn't seem to want their help, they just basically left. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face, but now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Sometimes Daphne and I are doing research for Going West, and we subscribe to different newspapers from all around the country. 
and then we forget to unsubscribe. But that's exactly why we love Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You'll be able to see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't like, Rocket Money can help you cancel it in just a few taps. It is seriously that easy. And that's why Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash going west. That's rocketmoney.com slash going west. rocketmoney.com slash going west. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, You can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. For award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring at simplysafe.com slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Do you want to earn cash back while you shop? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out Rakuten, especially because this week, May 6th through May 13th, Rakuten is having their biggest cash back event of the year with 15% cash back at hundreds of stores. Rakuten is the shopping platform to use so that you can save big while you shop. They're partnered with over 3,500 stores across all categories including fashion, beauty, electronics, 
home essentials, travel, dining, and so many others. Some of our personal favorite participating stores are Ray-Ban, Hydro Flask, Clinique Online, and Verbo, just to name a few. There are so many big stores and brands that you're already buying from. But don't miss this major deal. It's a limited time only with eight days of these high cashback rates, so you can save more than usual. Membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you can get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Before that break, Heath told us Joran's story about leaving Natalie to be approached by an unknown man outside of her hotel. But the police weren't even sure if they could believe Joran and his friend Deepak, especially since they started their story with the statement that they didn't know who Natalie was. But if what they were saying was true, they had to look for this supposed man and see if anyone did see her outside the hotel that night, because she certainly never made it back to her room. By midday on Monday, May 30th, 2005, hundreds of locals joined police to search the island for any sign of the 18-year-old Alabama native. Worried that she could have entered the sea, 50 Dutch Marines, since Aruba is a country in the Kingdom of the Netherlands, extensively searched the shorelines and the sea for any sign of her. Remember that too. A lot of places around, including the Holiday Inn, had surveillance footage, luckily, so it was easy to discover that Natalie did not appear on the footage outside of the hotel, meaning she never made it back there after all. But I will say there was a lot of discrepancies about whether or not the cameras were in working order that night, but it really does not seem to have been confirmed. While keeping tabs on Yorin and his buddies, because police really were, like, they were surveilling them, they were monitoring their emails, they were tapping into their phones, still while doing that, police were also kind of becoming convinced, likely based on Yorin and Deepak's statement, that these two former security guards in the area were possibly behind whatever happened to Natalie. So one week after she went missing, they arrested two men for suspicion of kidnapping and murdering her, Abraham Jones and Nick John. But after holding them for eight days, they couldn't find enough concrete evidence to confirm that they were involved in what happened to Natalie. So they were released. But before this release occurred, Others were arrested on suspicions of kidnap and murder in the very same case, Joran Vandersloot and Deepak Kalpo, along with Deepak's brother, Satish, since all three of them were together and last seen with Natalie on the night that she vanished. And this arrest occurred on June 9th, so four days before the former security guards were released. And you might be wondering how they were able to do all this without proper evidence. But at this time in Aruba, you could arrest someone on suspicion alone. So that's exactly what police did. However, to go any further with the charges, they did need evidence. So they continued to search as hard as they could for anything that could link them to Natalie's probable death. But it truly was as though she just vanished into thin air because there was nothing of hers left behind. 
Now, over the course of the next week, police were informed that Yorin's story wasn't entirely true, as you could have guessed, and that instead of Yorin being part of those who dropped her off that night, that Yorin and Natalie together were dropped off at the Marriott Hotel's beach, which is next door to the Holiday Inn where Natalie was staying. So when he was questioned about this, Yorin said yes, he was at the beach with Natalie alone, but that he did not hurt her. Then he changed his story yet again, and claimed that the Calpo brothers were the ones to take her back to her hotel after this, so he didn't know what ended up happening to her. So there's essentially just a ton of like finger pointing going on at this point. So during the time that they were detained, their attorneys had the opportunity to state their client's cases during a hearing, and a judge ruled to release the Calpo brothers, as it did seem as though Yorin was involved in Natalie's disappearance on his own, because he was caught in so many lies, while the Calpos proved that they had been home, or it seemed as if they had been home after dropping Yorin and Natalie off at the Marriott Beach. And while all this is going on and Yorin remained in police custody, an intense search continued across the land and sea of Aruba to find any trace of Natalie, but every search failed to find anything. Two months after the Calpo brothers were released, Yorin finally was too, and he continued to stay in the area and hang out with the Calpo brothers, with basically everyone around town believing in his guilt but he was roaming free just trying to clear his name and a lot happened over the years, but we mostly just wanted to share highlights and not like bog you guys down with seemingly irrelevant information because there was other people coming forward claiming to have seen her in other places, but those were never confirmed and um, remains were eventually found, but those were not found to be hers either. So it's like there was a bunch of stuff that happened, but all of it just proved to not be helpful to the case, so we're just we're not going to say it. I mean, as it goes in most cases, there's usually sightings of a missing person that don't end up helping the investigation or aren't relevant in any way. Yeah, and I mean, in this case, like there was so much information that I was sifting through while researching it, and I just didn't want to include anything that was going to confuse you guys because all this information is already really confusing, especially because of all the different interviews that Yorin was a part of and all of the different stories that he told. So, in March of 2006, the year after Natalie went missing, Yorin did an interview with Fox News. And basically, in the interview, Yorin stated how he and Natalie met at the casino and how they were all hanging out in Carlos and Charlie's. And then later, when he and Natalie were on the Marriott Hotel beach, that she wanted to have sex with him but he didn't have a condom and had to get home because he had school in a few hours. So Satish Kalpo picked him up, even though it felt clear that both Kalpo brothers did not leave the house after arriving once they dropped Yorin and Natalie at the Marriott Beach. And thus, Yorin left Natalie on the beach by herself for someone else to do something to her. So this is him coming forward saying, yeah, I was hanging out with her that night and here's how it went and here are the friends of hers that I was talking to and what we were drinking and what we were losing at the casino, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, oh, but then I left her at the beach because I had to go to school. And what's really interesting about this case is that it keeps, it just keeps progressing. Like it's one lie. Oh, I got found out. Oh, now I need to like extend that. Okay, yeah, I was hanging out with her. 
but like I didn't see her after that. Oh yeah, I was at the beach with her, but then I had to go, you know, go home because I had school. It's like, it just keeps progressing all these lies. It's like whiplash. Yeah, and he just keeps getting found out every time. But at this point, this is what he's saying his story is, and he's telling the public, I'm an innocent man. I just took her to the beach, and then I went home. And we are going to discuss just how much of a piece of dog shit this guy really is. So then, the year after this, in November of 2007, Joran and the Kalpo brothers were arrested once again in Natalie's case for manslaughter and causing serious bodily harm that resulted in death where Yorin confessed to killing Natalie accidentally and that he and his friends covered up the murder and sent her body out to sea. Which is very different from the story he told the year prior. Exactly. So year after year, it just keeps getting worse. But just over a week later, a judge ordered the release of the Kalpo brothers. And a week after that, Yorin was released as well due to lack of evidence. Then, two years later... Yorin did another interview with Fox News, and for what feels like the trillionth time, but definitely not the last, Yorin changed his story again. Now, for this interview, we do have like a long clip of hodgepodge clips because this interview was actually really lengthy, and we felt like it would be best if you heard it from him and not from us like transcribing or summarizing it. And by the way, they do bring up the Radisson a lot, and that's the hotel and casino right next to the Marriott and Holiday Inn. So take a listen to this. Vandersloot went on the record with us in 2006, claiming he had left Natalie alone on a beach. Then, in February of 08, Vandersloot was shown on hidden tape saying that Natalie had collapsed on the beach and that he had disposed of her body. Well, now his story changes again. Yaron contacted us, claiming he wanted to tell us the truth about what happened that night. He produced as evidence three telephone conversations saved on a digital chip. Iran claims the recordings are conversations between his father and him. If authentic, the recordings suggest that Iran told his father what happened to Natalie on a weekend we slipped away and we went halfway around the world to interview Iran Vandersloot. Mayor, I should ask you, what do you ultimately want out of this? Uh, I guess for it just all to be over. For just, yeah, that's it. Just for me to be able to get on with everything and feel okay. That's what I ultimately want out of it. And I know if you guys look into this that you're going to find out, I think, with, definitely with everything I gave, if you really go and look into it, you're going to stumble across something that will get you more answers. I'm sure about it. I know. You met a guy in February of three years ago who said he was interested in something. What was he interested in? He was interested in me bringing him a blonde girl. Where did you meet this guy? In the casinos in Aruba. What's his name? Um, Elher, and yeah, but I don't, know if it's, I don't even know if it's his real name. That's the problem. Is he in a Reuben? I don't know. I, can't, I don't know where he's from. What language did you speak with him? I spoke, uh, he spoke Dutch, he spoke Papimento, and uh, he could even speak English too. About how old a man? Older man. I can't, I can't say how old he was, 30, 40. Did he ever say what he wanted a blonde girl for? No. Did you have any sort of guess what it was? I mean, were you, was it sort of the, the code, you know, you speak in code, you sort of knew what he wanted? No, no, I wasn't, wasn't really uh, occupied with that at all. I had school going and I had other things, I had friends. I wasn't really, uh, like, I mean, like, I wasn't even concerned about his name, to tell you the truth. Did he offer you any money? Yeah. I have a specific number? Yeah, he offered me money. What was the number? 
I don't really want to say, but they offered me money for it. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, you, look, we've come halfway across the world. You know, you want, this is what you've told us, Ron, that you, that, you know, you want okay. this investigated because everybody seems to think something happened mm -hmm. and, and you told us something very different happened and there's a possibility that she's still alive. Yeah. So I need to, I need to be able to get this information out of you so that I can, you know, get my company to continue to finance because it's going to take us to Venezuela to find this guy. Yeah. We got to look from there. That's what and I want. I, that's, I know that's why, that's why you contacted contact me. At least that's what you told me is that you want that. If I get that information, um, we can track it down. Yeah. Um, so that's why I need to pull these facts out of it because that will corroborate the chip and will help me in the investigation. Okay, well, you only gave me $10,000. Okay, no, but that's later. But during, between February and May... Did he ask you, did he talk money with you on a specific number? Uh, no. All right. What happened the day you met Natalie? Well, the day I met, uh, I met Natalie, I, I re remembered what he said. And uh, as I was leaving the casino to, to leave, I went by the Radisson Casino and he was there. I spoke with him and he's like, yeah, you know, so then he's when he's asked me for like, uh, okay, all I want is to, to, you know, if you bring me a blonde girl, let me know, give me a call on, on this number right here gave me a phone number, and then he said um, to meet him at the, at the beach by the, by the Marriott if I ever got a girl, and that we'd, he would give me $10,000. Where did you make the, um, the hard plans with this guy to pick up Natalie? At what point? Like, like, not ever hard plans. It's just I told him that, okay, I have a girl with me, and he's like, okay, come to the, come to the Marriott Hotel. At what time? Uh, one in the morning or something, 12. I mean, it was just so, but I mean, that, that doesn't, it just doesn't sound right to me that it's, that, that sort of loose plans. I mean, why is a guy going to go sit outside the Marriott at one o'clock in the morning? I don't know either. Yeah, no, but it wasn't even him there. He wasn't even there when I came there. All right. Well, um, so, okay. So you, you go, so Deepak and Satish pick you up. Now they're not in on this at all, right? I don't really want to talk about them at all. Well, but you know, if you if you want us to do this, Yaron, if you want us to investigate this, you, you got to tell us because know. you know you know, know. You, you know you've trusted us this far. I, I, I do trust you guys, but it's just can I uh, talk about you with you just then about it one second, just just about them? Yeah. Just, uh, but not on camera first. No, no, just tell you know what because you know what we've gone so far down the road. Is that we might? This is your chance to, to tell us if you if, if you're telling the truth this time because you and I have spoken before. Mm -hmm. If you're telling the truth this time, you know, let's get it all out there and we will pound the pavement to try to chase this down. Mm -hmm. And um, but we can't have wild goose chase because the minute we hit another wild goose chase, it's over. Yeah, it's over. And you look like a you know what you look like you look like a, a, a liar because we've had one conversation with you. You really have to make a decision that you know, that you trust us. That you want us to you want us to investigate this fully and lay it all out. Yeah, no, but what I uh, what I was just actually wanted to ask you is so I don't want like uh, maybe if I say something bad about them they can sue me or whatever or I don't know. No, look, um, they're, they're not gonna. I, I can't say yeah, they're, they're not I mean. gonna sue you. I mean, they're not. Look, these guys. I mean, if you tell the truth, it doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. You lie, it does. Mm -hmm. So if if you lie about them, yeah, you're vulnerable. If you tell the truth, no. No, no, I agree. Yeah, okay, well then they, yeah, they know about it also, but that's why I'm with what, yeah, they know about it also. When did they know about it? At what point? That night, I told them. On the way to Carlos and Charles? On the way to Carlos, no, on the way back, when we, when we were getting a drink at Carlos and Charles. Okay, explain it to me. They pick you up at your house. Yeah, and I say we're meet, I just told them, all I told them is we're meeting a group of girls at Carlos and Charles who asked me to go out with them. 
And then, I, then at, when I was in the bar, she was all dancing on the bar, coming over to me and uh, telling me to come dance with her. <clears throat> and that's the moment when I, when I talked to them and said, like, uh, okay, well, I can get um, someone offered me $10,000 just to um, bring them somebody. And what do you guys think about it? $10,000, okay. You know, that was, that was the thought behind it. Um, and tell me what happened. Uh, then I got out, stepped out of the car. She was with me, went to, to the beach with her, and uh, we were just making out. We never did anything else. And uh, then uh, at first I didn't see anyone there. I didn't know anything, and I was like, okay, whatever. You know, it's not going to happen. Then I saw a guy, and he came, and he just handed me a bag, grabbed the, the girl by the arm, and he went to the boat that he had in the water. What did Natalie say? She said nothing, nothing until she was on the boat. And then she was like, hey, you know, what's going on? You're not coming with me or I don't know. She wasn't, wasn't panicking or anything. And then when I was on the boat and the boat went away, I still heard like, uh, yeah, like what's going on? I think she was pretty drunk. That's what the main thing was. But she didn't struggle with this guy to go to the boat? Mm -mm. Didn't you think that was odd? No, because I said we were going to go on a boat. You told her that? That was my story to go to the beach there, that we were going to go on a boat. In every video of Joran, like every interview, he just looks so smug and smiley. It's like he loves the attention. He absolutely does. And in this interview, it's interesting because he can't seem to find very many answers well. Like when he's asked if this guy was a Reuben, Joran didn't seem to know. And then Joran also conveniently claims that the man spoke to him in multiple languages and that he didn't know how old he was. Like, it just feels like lies. Well, we already know that he is a liar. Well, yeah. And it's also like he's trying to point the finger in a different direction, you know, while still being involved. Because another little interesting thing is he had told somebody that he thought that he could become a millionaire through his involvement in Natalie's story, um, like by keeping the um, like the real killer secret and extorting him and then also getting money through media and even extortion because in 2010, he offered to tell Natalie's parents where her body was for $25,000, but he was trying to get $250,000 and he took the money and provided nothing. So he was arrested yet again for this in 2010. So it really just goes to show you how much of an evil piece of shit this guy is. Like, like he's willing to lie, he's willing to put a family through all of this grief and then extort them for money as well. Well, and his reason for the extortion was, oh, they put me through all this shit for years, you know, pinning her murder on me when I'm innocent. But it's like, then why are you changing? If you're innocent, you would have one clear story. You wouldn't change it a million times and grant all these interviews and, and look all smug and smiley. Like if you're innocent, you tell the same story and you leave it at that and you leave it alone. Kind of seems like the trait of a narcissist. Totally agree. But really quick, let's get back to that 2008 interview that we just played. So I do need to summarize a little bit of it because the entire interview is like the length of a whole Going West episode. So essentially, Joran said that he trafficked Natalie to this unknown man who wanted a blonde girl so that he himself, Joran, could get this payout and that his own dad paid off two police officers to keep this secret so that she could swiftly be taken to Venezuela where this guy was 
and then Yorin wouldn't get into trouble. And Yorin even claimed to have this conversation between him and his father taped, but when that tape was aired, many pointed out that it didn't sound like his dad at all, but instead, like Yorin putting on a voice. It probably was. Yeah. And obviously, by saying all of this, he is implicating himself in a crime, like saying, I trafficked a woman, like that is a major crime. Um, so that wasn't going to bode well for him. And since there wasn't any evidence to prove what he was saying was true, he simply recanted his confession after the interview and maintained his innocence once again in her disappearance, saying, actually, that wasn't true. I didn't do anything. Yeah. He's <laughs> you like, just give a 30 plus minute interview yeah. saying that you did. He's like, uh, I did it. I did it. And then they're like, hey, want an interview? And he's like, okay, so yeah, I did it. And then immediately after he's like, Oh, no, no, I didn't do that. I actually what didn't. What up with that? He's just a fucking idiot. So meanwhile, the search for Natalie very much continued with her own father setting up intense searches in the water with search dogs around the area and more. But then in 2010, another young woman was murdered. And guess who the prime suspect was? Stephanie Flores Ramirez was born on July 22nd, 1988 in Peru to parents Mary Lena and Ricardo, and she had four loving and very doting brothers. Later on, three years before her murder, Stephanie began studying at the University of San Martin de Porres right there in Peru to study business administration while she was modeling on the side. She was hardworking, incredibly kind, and loved by everyone who knew her. And as far as her hobbies went, she was a poker player, and she was really good. So on May 30th, 2010, exactly five years after Natalie went missing, 21-year-old Stephanie Flores participated in a tournament at the Atlanta City Casino in Lima, Peru, and this is where she lived. So she told her dad that she was off to play in the tournament and that she would come home when it was over, since they obviously lived together. But to her father's surprise, she never made it home. Stephanie's family was pretty high profile and very well known in the area, and they still are, due to the fact that her father, Ricardo Flores, was a presidential candidate and even a former race car driver. And their family was like incredibly close. So when Stephanie didn't come home, her father called around to her brothers to ask if anybody had seen her, but nobody had. So they called the police to file a missing persons report. Now police took the case quite seriously pretty early on and headed to the hotel and casino where this tournament was to see if maybe they could see her on surveillance footage. Well, guess what? They did see her on footage, and they actually found her, but she wasn't alone. She was with a brunette man at about 3 a.m. while the tournament was still going on. And just two hours later, just after 5 a.m., the two left together and were seen on footage entering a hotel room together upstairs. And who was the room registered to? Joran Vandersloot. Over an hour after entering the hotel room together, the man, aka Joran, was seen leaving by himself and returning to the room with two cups of coffee and some bread that he got from the gas station next door. Then shortly after returning to the room at around 9am, Joran left once again with just his backpack and even told the hotel staff, quote, don't disturb my girl. It took two days for someone to enter room 309, and when they did, 21-year-old Stephanie's body was found inside, badly beaten, and with a broken neck. 
And for those wondering, Lima, Peru is around a four-hour direct flight from Aruba, but that's not where Jorn returned to after killing Stephanie. He instead fled to Chile, where he was found and arrested within just a few days. And just like with Natalie's disappearance, Jorn proclaimed his innocence of Stephanie's murder until four days later when he finally confessed. So this was all happening around the time, like I said earlier, that Joran was arrested for extortion against the Holloway family. So this asshole is just committing crime after crime. And it was actually with the extortion money that Joran was able to get to Peru to go to that poker tournament and murder Stephanie. Yeah, and for those of you who are following the case from the beginning, I mean, Natalie's case from the beginning, and thought that, you know, during that point between Natalie's murder and Stephanie's murder that possibly Yorin was just full of shit and just, you know, doing all of this for clout. Well, now we know, obviously, that he was caught red-handed murdering Stephanie. So, yes, he is very much capable of murder. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely a murderer. Well, and his reasoning for killing Stephanie was pretty weak. And it to me, it felt like a lie again. His reasoning was that he left Stephanie alone in the room for a brief moment, only to come back and find her on his laptop to find out that he was connected to Natalie's disappearance. And he stated that this sent him into such a rage that he killed her. Yeah, okay, I'm sure. So he said, quote, I hit her in the face exactly on top of her nose. I think she started to faint. It affected me, so I grabbed her from her neck and strangled her for a minute. There was blood everywhere. What am I going to do now? I had blood on my shirt. There was also blood on the bed, so I took off my shirt and put it on her face, pressing hard until I killed Stephanie. But there's also a lot of talk that she rejected him, and that's what made him angry. I mean, either way, I believe that he's telling the truth about how he killed her, because it does match. I mean, they do have her body. But then also, I, of course, believe that he killed her in general. But I feel like it's it's like, oh, I left for a minute, and she was on my laptop, and she connected me with this case that I'm innocent of, and so I just killed her. It's like, what? Nah, I think what it really is is that Jorn is just a fragile, fragile little man. Totally. Whenever, whenever anybody rejects him, he acts like a child and he spins into a rage and he becomes a, a, an abuser. Uh, he becomes a killer. Yep. Super pathetic. So this was, you know, very frustrating and disheartening for Natalie's family to learn about. And mostly, obviously, for Stephanie's family, because, you know, they knew that he should have already been locked up for murdering Natalie, which is what everyone truly felt had happened. So after he went to prison for Stephanie's murder, Natalie's mother Beth went to visit him and said that she felt like it was almost freeing to know that he was finally locked away, even if it wasn't for her own daughter's murder. But the BS continued as Jorn claimed that he was intimidated into confessing to Stephanie's murder. Yet even so, 24-year-old Joran pleaded guilty on January 11th, 2012, and was sentenced to 28 years in prison in Peru, meaning that he'd be set free by the age of 52. And just one day later, at the request of her father, Dave, Natalie Holloway was officially declared legally dead. 
Yorin was extradited to the United States this year in June of 2023 for the extortion of the Holloway family and for fraud, but he originally pleaded not guilty to each charge. But as part of a plea agreement for that case, just the day before we're recording this episode on October 18th, 2023, it's been announced that 36-year-old Joran Vandersloot newly confessed to killing Natalie Holloway back in 2005. Now, this comes as a frustrating development because he's been in prison for about 10 years now. So he has had a lot of time to sit and think about what he's done. But this fucking loser has falsely confessed numerous times and been caught lying too many times to count. So it's hard to know if what he's saying now is even true, but Natalie's family is allegedly, you know, pleased with this confession and finally ready to put their beloved daughter's case to rest. In her mother's words, quote, the never ending nightmare is over. And to me, that's better than closure. So we are gonna play a clip of the brand new confession now. Uh, she, she asked to go back to her hotel, but I was just trying to get dropped off a little bit uh, further away from her hotel so we could uh, walk back to her hotel and I might still get a chance to to be with her. Okay. That's so, what I was hoping for. Okay. So what happens? Um, yeah, Deepak drops me off at a, at a place uh, a little right of the, of the Marriott Hotel known as the Fisherman's Huts. Um, this place uh, is not so far from, you know, the next hotel is the Marriott and the next hotel after that is, is another Marriott, uh, which is a timeshare, and then it's the, the Holiday Inn. Um, well, we, we walk along the beach. Uh, right. um, do Deepak and Satish get out, come with you? Uh, what, what, what happens uh, to them? Deepak and Satish leave. Uh, they, uh, they leave... Uh, they go back to their home. I assume they go back to their home. Um, they get in their car and they leave. Uh, I'm actually with uh, I'm actually with uh, with Natalie walking along the beach. Uh, I find a space uh, before we get to the before we get to the Marriott Hotel, where I lay her down. We lay down together in the sand, and uh, we start kissing each other. I start. I get her to kiss me again. We start kissing each other, and uh, I start feeling her up again. And she tells me no. She tells me she doesn't want me to to feel her up. Uh, I insist. I keep feeling her up either way. Um, and uh, she knees me. Uh, she ends up kneeing me in the crotch. Uh, when she knees me in the crotch, uh, I get up. Uh, on the beach and I kick her ex extremely hard in, in the face. Um, yeah, she's laying down uh, unconscious, possibly even uh, even dead, but definitely unconscious. And uh, I see uh, right next to her, there's a, there's a huge uh, cinder block laying on the beach. And when you say cinder block, uh Looking at the walls of this uh, place, is it like those? The exact same cinder blocks. I see a huge cinder block laying on the on the beach. Uh, I take this and uh, yeah, I, I I smash her head in with it completely. Uh, yeah, her face basically you know uh, collapses in. 
even though it's dark, I can see her face is collapsed in. Um, uh, afterwards, I don't exactly know uh, what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm scared, I don't know what to do. Uh, and I um, <clears throat> I decide to, to take her and uh, uh, to put her into the ocean. So I grab her and I... I half uh, half pull and half walk with her into the ocean. Um, I uh, I push her off. Uh, I walk up uh, up to about my knees into the ocean and I push her off into into the into the into the sea. Um, and um, yeah, after that, I I get out. I I walk home. So yeah, obviously very, very disturbing, but it is just so hard to know if what he's saying is true because her body still has not been found. Also, this confession only came during talks of a plea deal for the extortion case so that he could get a 20-year sentence that will serve concurrently with his sentencing for Stephanie's murder. So it just feels like kind of a convenient time to confess when yeah. it's going to benefit him, you of know? Of course, of course it does. And he, by the way, confessed, th- this confession is from October 3rd, but it took like two-ish weeks to come out. And I mean, it's only left all of us with more questions. Like, I'm not going to say that all bodies thrown into the ocean come back and are found, obviously, but it's hard for me to believe that he walked her body to the shoreline, waded in only to his knees, and pushed her off and that was enough to completely get rid of her despite the incredibly intense searches of the entire area and the sea that began just hours later like especially with how clear the water is there and how many tourists would have been up and at the beach just a few hours later and i also imagine that the way he is claiming he killed her would have been extremely messy for lack of a better word so how he would have gotten home and not left a massive trail of evidence at the beach and at his house is just confusing. And like, where's this cinder block? That's what I'm wondering. Where is this bloody cinder block? Like, did you pick it up and take it with you? And you just somehow didn't leave any flesh, um, kind of gruesome, but brain matter even at the scene, no blood. Like, exactly. It's crazy. And then, yeah. Those are the, you have to bring that up though. Like, it's, right. it's, it's super disturbing, but it's like, that is the reality of what he is saying happened. So where is all that evidence? That's a that's a huge crime scene. Yeah, and when we were talking about this, like being pushed off out into the ocean earlier, you and I were talking about it. Um, I didn't take into a, uh, take into account that that water is so clear. It's so clear. It's very very clear unless you get out to a certain, you know, obviously to a certain uh, deep, depth. Deep, yeah. yeah, you got to get way out there, but. I imagine, unless like you know the the waves were very heavy at that time, and maybe really pulled her out into the middle of the ocean, it's hard for me to believe that you know none, none of the helicopters or anything like that had found any part of her, any part of her clothing or anything. Yeah, any any piece of her body, any piece of her clothing, like you're saying, like any tiny little trace of anything after such an intense search, and again. All he's saying he did was walk into his knees and push her off. How is that enough 
to completely conceal every piece of her body and her clothes forever. Yeah, well, and one of the biggest problems here is that evidence was really lost because it's not like they found out that he had been at that Marriott Beach with her, you know, a day after it happened. They found out a couple weeks later. So some of that evidence is obviously gone at that point. But still, if you're searching in that general area, and I don't want to, you know, overstep because I don't know how big this area is, but if you're searching in that general area, you would think that you would find some sort of evidence there. Well, even though they didn't know that right away, um, they're like you're saying, the the searches were everywhere. It was all over the island. Aruba isn't that big, sure. you know? So, I mean, it, it's just everybody would have been looking, especially because the Marriott Hotel is right next to the Holiday Inn where she was saying. So they that would have been within their primary search area, that beach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, regardless of all of this, regardless of all of this, I still, I do believe that he is uh, Natalie's murderer. Oh, You know, without a doubt. It's just whether or not he's telling the truth about what he did with her body. I completely agree with you. I mean, it is clear that Yorin is culpable and capable of spilling lie after lie when it's convenient for him. So I would personally find it very hard to believe that this confession is the full truth. But obviously, I think that at least part of it is true, at least. And I do believe that he's responsible. Yeah. But what is most important is that there's always the possibility that more evidence against him will come forward during the next couple decades that he's in prison. And for now, it feels like the Holloway family can start to move forward 18 years after losing their beloved Natalie. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Tuesday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. Yes, and for everybody who knows this case well, obviously you know we didn't include everything like I had touched on earlier. There is so much to this story, but a lot of it does feel irrelevant just feeling very confident that Yorin is involved. So we just didn't want to, again, bog you guys with seemingly irrelevant information. We could have made this like a two or three part episode, but we just included the most prevalent information, especially with the recent update. Yeah. And thank God that piece of shit is in prison now and that the Holloways can finally, you know, have some relief in their lives after this long battle with justice. Still, it just feels like this man should never get out of prison. Oh, 100% agree. And, you know, and the scary thing is that if he's already, you know, been responsible for murdering two girls, is it possible? I mean, is it possible that he's responsible for more? But also, what an idiot, by the way. Like, you are suspected of one murder, and then you go and commit another one? Like, he could have gotten away with Natalie's murder if he would have just shut his mouth, which obviously we don't want that to happen. We don't want anybody to get away with murder. But it's like, considering her body hasn't been found and with the laws in Aruba, like if he didn't kill Stephanie, he would not be in prison right now. Well, except for the um, extortion thing. But it's like he, but it's because of his own like serial crime committing. Yeah, you know? yeah. I don't like, think he can help himself, honestly. Yeah, he's a he's a criminal. So, I don't know. This this man is not a man at all. He's a monster. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, guys. Well, for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. 